As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and it's the holidays. Happy holidays. So I am taking a little break from podcasting for about two weeks. So I'm reaching into my archives, and I pulled out my most talked about postpartum podcast, Life with a Newborn, Thriving and Surviving the First Weeks with Mima Spadola. So Mima, wow, I've talked to her a couple times and she is so full of knowledge. She is a longtime postpartum doula and certified lactation counselor. And she shares some of her vast knowledge about this challenging and yet precious time of transition for when you first have your baby home to what to expect in those first few weeks. I remember clearly the beginning of parenthood with my first child. I was clueless. I was excited. I was scared. And I related to everything that Mima was talking about. She talks about recovering from a vaginal birth. She talks about practical ways to help perineal perineal tears, understanding the hormonal shift, recovering from a cesarean. She really gives so much information, as well as a realistic picture of what sleep is like for a new parent in the first few weeks. That caught me off guard. I was not ready for that. So I think those that are either in the midst of this or approaching this, I think you're really going to get a lot of great information, support, and confidence from what Mima has to offer you. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you guys that all of our classes are now online, including our workshops, including our teacher training, so much that we can continue to see each other online. So even once we reopen the doors of PYC, which I don't know when that will be, we're going to continue all of our online classes. Now, the only thing that may change will be our teacher training. We're going to eventually have that back in person. So if it's been something you've been listening to on the podcast or thinking about, but getting to New York is not an easy task, consider doing the next one that we have space for, which is the March and April training. That will definitely be online. I don't know what to tell you about the fall yet. We're picking the dates, but I don't know if it's going to be online or in person. So don't hesitate. If getting to New York's not going to be easy, check it out online because it's a really awesome program. We just finished off our November and December training, and the people that showed up for it were just 
fantastic. I was so impressed by the teacher trainee's commitment. So that's what's going on at the studio. Our workshops, our classes, our teacher training, we've got it all for you. Okay, we're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Mima. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Mima, how are you today? I am well, thank you. Happy New Year. And it's good to be back. Yeah, I know. So three years ago in January, we did this whole thing before talking about your life as a postpartum doula, which will definitely relate to what we're going to talk about today. So thank you. Thanks for your time. I'm happy to be with you. Oh, great. So what I thought we'd talk about today, a lot of my students come up to me and this is postpartum, not usually during pregnancy, unless it's their their second or third. And there's usually a lot of buildup about pregnancy and a lot of preparation and classes and books and a lot of time with that and about the birth. And then postpartum hits. And a lot of times people just feel totally boggled by the experience. There wasn't a lot of focus on that from, you know, often care providers and maybe the research they're doing or whoever. And so they really feel kind of left behind. So I thought today we would dive into what that first week or so is like as a new parent, what the behavior in newborn is going to be, just really the the true expectation. And as a postpartum doula, I know you have so much information. You're right there in the mud of it. So let's dive in. But I guess let's start with a little bit about a little bit about you and the work you do and how you got into this. Sure. So I started working as a postpartum doula um, almost 14 years ago in uh, early 2006. Um, Before that, I was a documentary filmmaker. I made documentaries about um, women's body issues, family uh, stuff uh, for HBO, for PBS. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about newborn babies and newborn parents. Um, And then what happened was, one of my closest friends uh, had a baby and everyone was very, very excited about it during the pregnancy. And immediately after her son was born, there was a lot of excitement and then everybody disappeared. Um, And what ended up happening for her was without much support, um, she developed some pretty severe postpartum anxiety and depression. I got a call from her one day saying that she had made a call to a suicide hotline. She was feeling really frightened. Um, I went with her to um, the ER 
they handled it very badly and sent her right home. Um, and then I got a call shortly after that in the middle of the night, um, that she and her husband were back, um, in a different ER and that she was being checked in, um, uh, inpatient psych for about a week. Um, and I was totally shocked. Like, how could this happen? Um, where was the support? Um, how could it be that we paid so much attention um, to, you know, someone who's pregnant and and expressed such delight uh, about the baby arriving and then we all disappeared? Um, I should have known better. And yet that is just kind of generally what we do in this culture. And I thought, God, there really should be someone who's there to support the parents after the birth of a baby. Um, and what ended up happening actually was that my friend, as she began her recovery, she found out about postpartum doulas. She trained as a postpartum doula. She also trained um, to really support other um, parents going through postpartum depression, uh, really focusing on PPD and anxiety, um, and really paid it forward and was an incredible support for many years um, of other parents. And she really inspired me uh, to follow her and become a postpartum doula myself. Um, and she's no longer doing that work, but it was really a part of her recovery and a total inspiration to me. Um, and I, you know, even though my focus in the beginning was really on postpartum um, mood disorders, um, you know, I work with a range of people. So I'm not just focused on um, people who are in crisis. But um, I think what I think is important to understand is that whether or not you actually are suffering from a postpartum mood disorder, things are intense. Things are really intense. Even if you had an easy birth, um, even, you know, no matter how you're feeding the baby, um, if you're nursing or not, even if that's going easily, it is still a massive shift in your identity. If it is your first baby and an upheaval to your family, if it's your second or, you know, third, fourth, fifth baby, um, it, rocks your world. And I don't think we speak honestly enough about what it does to your body, what it does to your heart, what it does to your mind, what it does to your relationship if you have a partner. Um, and we don't provide enough support. We really value um, being tough uh, and doing it on your own. You're somehow seen as, you know, maybe weak. Um, that's the thought. You're somehow seen as weak if you're asking for too much help, if you're leaning on people. When, of course, what I always say to my clients is we were never meant to do this alone. Throughout history, that's not what we were doing. When we had babies way back in the day, we had our mothers and our aunties and our sisters around us taking care of us, um, and it should be no different now. But we're very isolated, so you know we don't necessarily have all of those family members around us. Um, they might be busy. They might be far away. They might drive us up a wall. Um, they might not still be alive. Um, and so that's where I come in as a postpartum doula. I'm a non-medical support person. I am there to help navigate those early days, weeks, months with a newborn, um, to help educate, to support, to model how to care for yourself, how to care for your baby. Um, I'm teaching without lecturing. I'm providing support without taking over. Um, I'm helping soothe baby. I'm helping educate about sleep and normal sleep patterns or lack thereof. Um, I'm helping with infant feeding, no matter what your choice is. 
Um, I'm helping people understand what is going on with your body because, oh my God, some crazy stuff happens with your body after you have a baby, whether you've given birth vaginally or, or by cesarean. Um, and just helping parents navigate, helping them um, gain in confidence. I always say to people, my job is to work myself out of a job. And I know that just sounds like a line, but it is so true. And it like nothing makes me happier when people, you know, I reach the end of my time with clients and they just say like, we're going to miss you, but we really feel ready to do this on our own. To me, that's like, great. I, I did my job. Absolutely. I, I had a postpartum doula for both, both my births and wow, the first one, especially it was our lifeline. It really was like our midwife and doula left. We chose a home birth and we're like, okay, we have three hours until the postpartum doula is getting here. We just have to keep the baby alive. And yeah. it was, when she walked in, it was, I just felt like it was a gift. It was, it's a true gift. In fact, I tell people that instead of getting baby clothes, which they outgrow or whatever, either, either food or chip in with some friends and get some postpartum doula time. It's, it's so valuable. And so, um, some, a lot of people don't even know what a postpartum doula is. I think labor support doulas are more commonplace of understanding in our culture. Postpartum doulas, it's so important, but yet I don't think people really understand what they do. So let's get into, with your background of 14 years being right in that front line of the very beginning, I guess let's talk about that kind of nitty gritty time. So we're going to cover a lot, um, but I thought let's just go what you see. And this is kind of a broad stroke here. Just it's a general recovery someone may think of when they have a vaginal birth. And I know we're gonna, I'll ask the same thing about a cesarean because I know they're, they're mm-hmm. different. But just I think some people don't even know. Like I remember mentioning students, they bleed for a while. They, they had no idea. So kind of explained a broad stroke of what general recovery looks like for vaginal birth. Yeah. So, I mean, there are definitely some similarities between vaginal and cesarean, but let's start with giving birth vaginally. Um, I mean, there's obviously a huge range of uh, what that can look like. Um, You know, some people have minimal tearing, some people have really serious tearing. Um, So depending on that, um, you can be feeling incredibly sore in your perineum and bottom. Um, you might have uh, hemorrhoids from extended pushing or maybe during the pregnancy they developed. Um, you might be feeling very constipated from if you had an epidural, if there are certain kinds of epidurals that are going to be very constipating. Um, if you had an IV, you're going to be feeling a lot of that extra fluid in your body, that edema in your breasts, in your um, in your ankles, in your feet, in your face. Um, in any case, you're going to be sweating and urinating a lot as you get rid of a lot of retained fluids from the pregnancy. Um, you uh, are going to definitely be bleeding a lot, and the bleeding kind of can come and go. People can feel like really surprised by the amount of blood. Um, if they're soaking more than a pad an hour, that's definitely like a sign to call your provider. Um, but you know, there are big clots. If it's bigger than an egg, you call your provider. But otherwise, you might see some big big pieces of that uterine lining coming out, um, your uterus is going to feel incredibly crampy. Um, that's involution that the uterus is returning to its pre-pregnancy size. And especially, you know, if you're nursing, when you nurse, you're going to be feeling, uh, pretty crampy and that can 
be really surprising for people. They didn't, they don't expect to feel, um, pains that can feel surprisingly like labor. You might want to like put a hot water bottle on your abdomen, um, you know, deep breaths, whatever you were doing to, uh, kind of cope with some of those labor and contraction pains. Um, you know, you need to drink lots of fluids. I mean, you're also going to be feeling incredibly thirsty, um, and, and so your body will kind of prompt you in that anyway. In terms of the care for um, the vaginal area, um, think about uh, using cold for the first uh, like 48 hours. So you might have heard of padsicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you take a, a giant menstrual pad and uh, you know soak it with witch hazel. Some people will also put um, aloe vera on it um, and put that in the freezer. And then you put that right in your underwear and feeling that cold um, can really um, be very soothing in the first 20, uh, like 48 hours. But after that, it's better to use warmth. Um, so you want to switch to like a warm sits bath. So for the first 48 hours or so, it's fine to use ice um, and cold. So whether you're using padsicles or some people will take um, witch hazel pads, stick them in the freezer or the refrigerator and put them directly in their underwear, um, that can be very soothing. Um, After 48 hours, you really want to switch over to warmth. Um, And the best thing that you can do is um, use a sits bath. It's that weird looking, it looks like a bedpan. Some of my clients um, leave it at the hospital because they don't know what it is. So I've (laughs) taken to giving all of my clients a picture of a sits bath. If you see this at the hospital, bring it home because it's a real drag to go out and buy it. So it sits in the toilet. Um, You fill it with warm water. You can put Epsom salts in it like plain Epsom salts, or you can put an herbal mix in there. Um, and then you just sit in it and that warmth, um, and the herbs or the Epsom salts can really aid in the healing. Um, I have a question about that. We, we did a bath, like my husband would clean the bathtub and then I'd fill it a little bit and just do the same. We had some sort of like herbal mix. Um, and I would just sit in there. Is that okay? As long as the bathtub's super clean? Yeah, the bathtub needs to be super clean, and it's really just up to your hips. But it was um, delightful. I was by myself. I really enjoyed that alone time. Yeah. I mean, what I say to my clients is, like, think of this as a time for yourself. Think of this, you know, maybe you want to read a book, or maybe you want to look at your phone, or maybe you want to do a little meditation or whatever while you're sitting on the toilet soaking, you know, soaking your bottom, Um you know, we want to carve out as much time for just a little, you know, like self-care as possible. Like I know that that is overused as a, as a word these days, but, um, it is incredibly necessary, um, to make time to take good care of yourself. Um, which I know that you can't do unless you're getting support, you know? So I think it's really easy to tell people like to, you know, shake our fingers and say, you've got to practice self-care, but then if we're not supporting people, um, and making that possible, that's really hard to do. And then it's another thing that people feel guilty about. Um, but anyway, the sits bath, yeah, can really help with healing. And, you know, 
if you're giving birth uh, in a hospital, they'll also give you a peri bottle. Um, if you're giving birth at home, you might want to invest in, in a peri bottle. And that's just like a little squeeze bottle where you can put either your herbal mix um, in there or um, warm water or, um, you know, like even make some comfrey leaf tea and put that in the bottle. And anytime you're urinating, um, squeeze the bottle so that can really help with the stinging sensation that you might feel otherwise. Um, the other thing is that, you know, you can feel really constipated after the birth of a baby and, um, it's not going to feel so exciting to be pushing when you're trying to have a bowel movement. Um, so you want to get ahead of that again, by drinking fluids, um, maybe drinking prune juice, maybe eating prunes, but really, you know, sometimes you need to take colace, um, which they'll give you at the hospital. Um, but just making sure that you don't get constipated because that's a really unpleasant situation to, to get into. Oh, I know. Especially if you pushed for a while and just like that feeling like, oh no, it feels like the baby's coming out again. Yeah, <laughs> so you don't want that. I mean, a lot of my clients, you know, will emerge from the bathroom with a sense of like, they'll very happily announce to me and their partner, I pooped. (laughs) Finally, you know, um, and you might need to, you know, take some toilet paper, wrap it around your hand and like give yourself like a little counter pressure against your uh, uh, perineum, um, as you're pushing, uh, that bowel movement out, um, so that you're not going to strain those stitches, um, or, you know, any abrasions or, you know, tears that you have. Um, cause that, that doesn't feel good. No. And that, I'm glad you mentioned that cause all that stuff. Cause I did want to talk about perineal tearing cause that happens so much. I think it's something that people don't even realize, um, I've had students, luckily not too many, have had some big tears, but I've had some students with big tears where they're then even uncomfortable to sit and then they're ending up sideline feeding and could barely sit. So I'm glad you mentioned some things to feel more comfortable about. Right. So, and certainly, um, you know, you should feel free to like sit on a pillow or sit on a donut or do learn sideline nursing or laid back nursing where you're really reclining. Any of those positions that take the pressure off your bottom um, will really help. And then I also tell my students, if something really doesn't feel right, go Go back to your care provider. I've had someone that their stitches really were not holding everything together well, and they just didn't want to be a pain in the neck. And then it turned into an infection. It was a big deal, um, which I guess brings me into some warning signs. I actually had a student just two days after, this was last week she reached, I've heard about this, two days after her baby was born, she was back in the hospital with preeclampsia, which is a big deal and not too common that this happens. But let's talk about some warning signs, like something's wrong, whether it's preeclampsia or something's not going well with with healing of any place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I feel like, you know, it's important for me to say that as a postpartum doula, I am not a medical care provider, but I'm there in people's homes and I see stuff. And, you know, when I am when I'm concerned, I am not going to hesitate to say, call your provider. And even if it's like a, I'm not sure, I always feel like it is so much better to call your provider than to miss something that's serious. And and I have been there. I have seen situations where it was unclear. And I said, 
you know what? I'm not comfortable with this. Let's call the doctor. Um, and I'm really glad I was there because, you know, it turns out that there have been times when I happened to catch things that were really serious. So with preeclampsia, that is something that people don't understand that that can happen to you postpartum. People believe that that is only something that can happen when you're pregnant, and that's not true. So a headache that doesn't get better with medication or a headache with vision changes, um, nausea or vomiting, shortness of breath, um, those are big warning signs uh, for preeclampsia postpartum. Um, there's actually a mnemonic device, um, and I have a wonderful handout that I'm happy to share with you, um, that uh, the the letters spell post-birth. So I'm just going to run down those. Um, So pain in chest, um, that could be a signal of a blood clot or a heart problem. Obstructed breathing, shortness of breath, again, blood clot or a heart problem. Um, Seizures, I mean, that is a late, you know, sign of eclampsia. Um, Thoughts of hurting yourself or your baby, Um, obviously a sign of uh, severe postpartum mood disorder, Uh, bleeding, soaking through a pad per hour, or blood clots the size of an egg or bigger, Um, incision that's not healing. Um, That could be uh, either your your cesarean incision or um, any uh, vaginal tearing, a red or swollen leg that's painful or warm to touch, that could be a blood clot. Uh, a temperature of 100.4 or higher, sign of infection, um, and again, the headache that doesn't get better even after taking meds or bad headache with vision changes, that's post-birth preeclampsia. Um, but really, you know, what I say to any of my clients and their partners is, you know, you know your body. If something doesn't feel right, please call your doctor. Yes, it is true that there are a lot of weird things that are happening, Um, and you know, oftentimes I'm normalizing like, yes, this kind of soreness is something that a lot of people experience, but I am never going to discourage someone from calling their care provider and any good care provider is going to understand that this is a big deal and that people will have questions and they should be patient and kind and answer those questions and not be dismissive. Oh, I love that you said that because I do know so many times people be like, well, I don't want to bother the doctor. It's probably nothing. But what if it's not? That's the big thing. Like, what's that one call if you don't do it, what it could lead to? So I asked about kind of a general recovery from vaginal birth. Now, cesarean, while there'll be some things... It is major abdominal surgery and things are going to be a little different. I personally have not had a cesarean, but I did have a hernia surgery, a pretty significant one. And I liken that in a sense to a cesarean because it was my abdomen pretty much from my cyphoid process, almost down to my pubis. And I remember the first time I had to sneeze, I was so scared. <laughs> when I, I like pushed a pillow against my abdomen, I swear I felt like I was going to rip it, rip apart. So and that's what I tell my clients. To do. <laughs> oh, I knew that because that's what I tell Sneezing, my Sneezing, coughing, laughing. It's like, you know, don't tell your friend who has just had a cesarean lots of funny jokes. Like, just be... warn them. I am about to tell you a very funny joke. Brace yourself. Yeah, like, so... You need to be able to prepare. It's very painful. It So let's talk a little bit about the healing of a cesarean because a third of our listeners might have had a cesarean or are planning to. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you say, this is major abdominal surgery. And generally speaking, when you have major abdominal surgery, you really get to rest. Um, and you're not expected to be caring for another human being um, mixed in with all of the intense emotions that you're feeling around caring for that new human being and possibly some strong feelings that you're having about having the cesarean. Um, not saying that everyone's going to feel you know, trauma around that or disappointment around that, but that might be a piece of the of what you're feeling. And I just want to say, if that is what you're feeling, that is legitimate and that is okay. And you should find someone who understands and listens and validates that and doesn't just say to you, the most important thing is a healthy baby and healthy mother. Um, you need to recognize that we're also, you know, the person who's given birth is a piece of this and, uh, you know, how they feel about how the birth went down is really important too. Mm -hmm. So that aside, physically what's going on, um, you are definitely going to have a hard time moving in the beginning, but it is really, really important to move, to slowly walk. Um, you're not going to feel like you can stand up straight. Um, it will feel like you are going to split open if you stand up straight, but you need to try to stand up straight. You need to walk. Um, it's going to be really painful trying to even just roll over in bed. So first draw up your legs one at a time so that your feet are flat on the bed. Make a bridge, lift your hips off the bed, pressing your feet, and then turn your body over so you're avoiding strain on the incision. Put your hands down and push up. Don't just try to sit up. Don't, you know, don't recruit those abdominal muscles for a while. Um, you know, things like the car ride home from the hospital is going to be a painful experience. Every bump will hurt. So tell your driver to take it easy and slow. You are definitely going to be experiencing some very painful gas. Um, you want to avoid carbonated um, and very cold drinks. Um, you are definitely going to be, um, you know, constipated from the medication that you're taking. Um, as we discussed, it's painful to sneeze, laugh, or cough. You're going to press a pillow against your abdomen um, before you do any of that, if possible. Try to practice deep, slow breathing. Um, you want to um, really believe the doctors and nurses when they tell you to take it easy and not lift heavy things. So don't lift anything heavier than your baby. Um, think about nursing positions if you're nursing where your baby's not going to be, you know, on or close to the incision. Uh, when you're burping your baby, you want to be careful about the baby not kicking you in the incision. Um, your underwear is going to be feeling uncomfortable, so you're going to want to get you know, as many of the giant mesh underpants as possible. Grab those from uh, the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> You're absolutely. paying for them anyway. Throw them in your bag. People always say, oh, like they're stealing stuff from the hospital. You're not stealing stuff from the hospital. It is there for you. So ask for it, take it. You should not have to buy additional mesh underpants. You should not have to buy anything additional, like, you know, the stuff that they're giving you in the hospital. Just ask for as much of it as you think you'll need. And then even more than that. Um, and I just want to say for people who've given birth either by cesarean or vaginally, think about working with a physical therapist. 
Um, not immediately, but, you know, after you see your care provider for your six week or, you know, hopefully they're going to see you earlier than six weeks. ACOG is saying to do that now to be seen earlier, but at some point talk to your care provider about a referral to a physical therapist who really focuses on pelvic floor issues. Um, whether you've given birth vaginally or by cesarean, that is a big surprise, I think, for many people. They might have heard about this, but think of it only for vaginal birth. But no, it is also really helpful uh, if you've given birth by cesarean. It really can aid in terms of um, you know, reducing adhesions from the scar tissue um, and just strengthening your pelvic floor and um, you know, really helping down the road with uh, incontinence and sexual function and just sort of generally how you're feeling. I think that actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think a lot of people are surprised. They'll be like, well, I had a cesarean. I'm sure my pelvic floor is fine. But then we remind them, you know, they still had to open up your abdomen. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like those muscles got disturbed by by the cesarean. And that's, it's all the kind of the core is so connected, you know, the abdomen, the pelvic floor, the fascia. So I am glad that you mentioned that. And also even, even if they don't feel anything, there was all that weight and the hormones, um, change things on the pelvic floor. But I mean, they're, they're, they are cutting the fascia. So that is going to change things. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, I think sometimes people are very focused on just the external scar. (laughs) Well, yes, on the vagina, but also in terms of a cesarean, they look at the external scar. and, And if that looks good, they're like, I healed well. And they are not thinking about the layers. On the inside, yeah. Right. They are so about that external scar. And of course, obviously, if immediately postpartum, you see that it's gapping, you see that there's pus, you see that there's a, you know, if there's a foul smell, if you have a fever, all that and hot and oozing, looking at that incision is going to tell you a lot, but just the fact that it looked like it healed doesn't tell you what's going on in the layers below. And that's where a good pelvic floor therapist can really help. Um, and it doesn't, you know, maybe you're not ready to do that, six weeks postpartum or three months postpartum, you know, anytime Absolutely. Uh, postpartum, you're still postpartum. Uh, you can go and get that help. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Okay, so I wanted to talk a bit about the birth high and then the sudden shift of hormones and what that does. I, I think the, I remember um, as a person that has birth and also as some as a labor support doula who's visited people after that is so pronounced. They're on this high, everything's exciting, and then there's like that's many people is kind of a crash. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although I think it is also true that there are a number of people who are feeling pretty beaten up by how the birth went. Mm -hmm. Um, so not everyone is necessarily feeling that joyful high. Um, well, I don't think it's necessarily joy. I think it's sometimes energy. (laughs) It's just like, like change. Yeah. I guess I just want to sort of normalize for the folks who are just like, gee, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty beaten up by this whole thing. Yes, um, thank so there, you there for clarifying. Range. But yes, you are getting, you know, like uh, a turbocharge assist from your hormones, you know, like thank goodness, because you've just done this physically incredibly intense thing. Um, you know, like a human being who didn't have those hormones would just crash really hard. So at least you've got these uh, post-birth hormones that are, um, you know, kind of keeping you uh, going for a while. Um, around day three to five, you're going to feel a giant hormonal shift. This is around the time um, that your mature milk is really increasing and, um, or sometimes people will say your milk is coming in, um, which we can talk about that later. I, mm-hmm. I avoid the phrase milk coming in because it makes it sound like there wasn't anything there before. But around day three to day five, you're going to feel this giant hormonal shift and you're going to feel very emotional and and it can be changing rapidly. So one moment um, you're weeping with joy and feeling just like everything is quite beautiful. Um, and then the next moment you just feel like super angry and biting off your partner's head or snapping at the people you love who are around you. Um, you know, I have learned that I do, I absolutely do not take it personally if people are cranky with me in those early days. Um, you know, it's just a very destabilizing time. Um, and I think, you know, in the first six weeks of life, you're going to be still feeling a pretty potent mix of hormones that can make you feel out of whack. And what I will often tell my clients is, you know, like try to accept that there might be a time each day where you're going to feel off kilter, um, that you might feel sad, you might feel weepy, you might feel anxious. But if that's not your experience, you know, during the 24 hours, you are also feeling joy during the day. You're laughing about the stuff that you, you know, used to laugh about. You're feeling excited about something. Um, You're feeling connected to your new baby. Then that's a sign that, you know, you're doing okay. Um, So, you know, making room for those hard feelings, I think it's really important. Um, but also being aware when it crosses a line from normal hard feelings to, um, you know, maybe a sign of postpartum uh, mood disorder, anxiety, or um, depression. Do you tell your clients to have on call either a support group or a therapist or just some, like, if things really are looking challenging, the ER or when the hormones are beyond your typical fluctuations, how do you prepare people for that? Yeah, so 
part of um, part of my work is connecting with people, ideally prenatally. I mean, yes, absolutely. I get calls from people um, after the birth of a baby where they're like, oh, uh, okay, this is harder than we thought. Like now we really do need postpartum support. And so sometimes if I'm available, I'm happy to step in and help folks. But usually I'm connecting with people prenatally and we have a conversation about postpartum mood disorders. I ask them about their history. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a predictor that you're going to, you know, develop a postpartum mood disorder if you have a history, because sometimes those folks are best prepared and know best how to manage. And they also have a, you know, a support team in place already and really know what calls to make if they're, if they're feeling hard feelings. Um, but, you know, ranging from, you know, Postpartum Support International has an amazing um, hotline that is available free of charge. And you can call and talk to, um, you know, people who really get it. And um, but I also have numerous referrals for groups, um, for therapists, for psychiatrists. Um, and any postpartum doula you work with um, should have those kinds of referrals. Um, here in New York City, we have the Motherhood Center, which is an incredible resource. Um, and even if you're not able to use their resources, I know that they are um, able to share resources uh, with people who are in crisis. Um, so that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, you know, if it is if those hard feelings are intrusive and they are really getting in the way of connecting with your baby, then, then it's worth really reaching out and getting help. And I think what is often surprising to people is, um, that if, you know, the help is available, not only that it's available, but you really can feel better sooner than you might think. Um, I think sometimes people are just overwhelmed by the task of reaching out and, or they're afraid, what if I have to take medication? Does that mean I can't keep nursing? There are medications that are compatible with nursing. Um, you know, there are wonderful resources out there for, you know, people no matter their financial situation. So I wish more people were open to getting the help that's out there because, a lot of people are suffering. Uh, and we don't, yeah, we, we want to try to support that. So thank you. Renata. The fluctuation of hormones is definitely something I've had a lot of people come back and be like, wow, that took me by surprise. So I'm glad we addressed that. The other thing, I'm kind of hitting the greatest hits um, of areas that people are like, that also surprised me. So let's talk about the realistic picture of how much sleep a new parent gets in the first week and how much sleep a baby needs. Yeah, so... In the first couple weeks, babies are relatively sleepy, um, and they are going to be sleeping a lot. However, <laughs> that sleep is broken into very small chunks at times, and you don't know how long they're going to sleep. And you're likely mixing in a lot of anxiety around how often they're feeding. Um, and you might have been told, you know, that you need to be waking them up. Um, you might also be dealing with visitors who want to be coming to your home, um, you know, during the day when babies are more likely to be really drowsy and sleeping for longer stretches. So what I would say is it is possible to get more sleep than you might think that you can get, but it's going to require a lot of work on your part. So for those daytime hours when your baby is really drowsy, 
just try to sleep as much as you possibly can. Think about the number of hours that you needed, even, you know, I know sleep is disrupted during pregnancy. Think about before you were pregnant, how many hours did you need every night to feel like, a, you know, a happy human being? And that's that's the number of hours that you owe yourself. And so you need to just sort of keep napping until you reach that number of hours. Plus, you're recovering from, you know, from giving birth. And so you need some extra rest. Um know that babies have that day-night reversal, and so they're going to be more active and up during the night. Um, you know, you might think about really wanting to swaddle at night to stretch to stretch the sleep as much as possible, maybe leave them unswaddled during the day. Um, you know, try to, if you're doing this with a partner, try to tag team. So, you know, if you're nursing, your partner's doing the diapering and the soothing and, um, the swaddling and back to bed, um, try not to have both of you necessarily up at the same time, every single time, uh, try to carve out some time, uh, for naps when, you know, visitors cannot come, or if they are really trusted people who can sit and hold the baby while you get some rest, that's great. But, it's not social time. It's not time for people to come and chit chat with you. Um, anyone who comes to your home should be bringing you food, should be doing your laundry, should be doing your dishes, should really be focused on taking care of the new parents. I'm so um, glad you said that because one of the things I wanted to ask was managing family and visitors. I I had a hard time with it. I've heard many, actually, I had someone ask just to do a podcast on that. So we're not going to do a whole podcast on that, but just it's it's hard a lot, you know, because as you mentioned in the beginning, a lot of us don't have family around. So people fly in, they're yeah. there, they're, you know, they're like, I put my effort in, I want to see this baby, I want to visit. And then sometimes they're the ones taking care. I remember having to get some guests some food and drinks. Um, we had a bris in our house. What was it? Eight days later, it was, it was not fun. So as we're talking about the sleep, can you also, and you mentioned the, the visitors, can you, how would you suggest to manage visitors and family? Yeah. So I think these are conversations that are really important to have prenatally. Um, and if you cannot even have a conversation with the family member about this prenatally, that is probably a sign that things could be really tough if they come after your baby is there and you're going to have to make some hard decisions about possibly limiting the amount of time that they stay or where they're staying, um, I think, you know, as best and with as much love and compassion as you can possibly approach the conversation, just to say, hey, you know, what I'm understanding is that I am really going to need a lot of rest and support myself. Um, I need to be really careful about pushing myself, you know, and you can sort of put this, you know, you can say, my midwife told me, or my OB told me, or the pediatrician told us, you know, that we have to be really careful about having too many visitors, um, you know, so it's not just you, the new parent, demanding this, um, but to have a conversation saying, like, here are the things that we think would be most helpful, um, you know, like, we also need some time just for ourselves as a new family of three, or we, as a family of four, or, you know, family of however many, um, just to have some quiet time for ourselves alone, um, doing things like writing down a list. Um, you know, what I say with my clients is like, put a list up that says like, if you want to help dot, 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 please, you know, like 
And then you've got your list of things, you know, and maybe it's taking the dog for a walk or playing with the dog, or it might be holding the baby while, you know, we take a shower. But oftentimes it's more like, please take care of all of the stuff that's around us so we can just feel supported. And yes, sometimes we want to hand you the baby, but sometimes that's really not where new parents are at. They don't really want to like pass their baby off to, to a bunch of different people. They, they, you know, they just want to be taken care of. They just want to have food brought to them or, you know, get that mountain of dishes out of the, out of the sink. Um, and you know, sometimes they're in partners, you know, there can be like a good cop, bad cop. So, you know, someone needs to be a bit of a gatekeeper and, and just say like, Hey, you know, sorry, we're really limiting the number of visitors, you know, as a doula, have to- you had to do that? Have you had to play a bad cop and be like, we totally want to see you, but right now is not a good time. You know, I don't do that because I mean, we have, I always have conversations with my clients about sort of how best to manage. Sometimes clients will want me to kind of communicate something that they need to communicate (laughs) to the parents, but it's more often around how to hold a baby or how to bottle feed a baby or how to, you know, sort of different things around care. But I, I want to be super careful about not triangulating Mm -hmm. or, Um, you know, I try to have my role, um, to be, you know, very respectful and very warm. So stay with that scope. Do you Um, ever prep the parents? Cause I'm sure as 14 years of doing this, you've seen maybe a lot of unsolicited advice, like when so-and-so offers this advice, how do we graciously just nod and smile? Is that something that's ever come up? I say graciously nod and smile. (laughs) (laughs) I answered my own question. (laughs) Yeah. You really practice going, oh, interesting. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And you don't even have to say thanks because you're like, no, no, thank you. But oh, interesting. Huh. I remember my mother one time told me, we're really careful with sugar in our family. My son um, really reacts to it. And we were away in Disney World. It was just the three of us, my mother, my uh, myself, and my son. And she's like, Deb, I really think you did him a disservice from not having enough sugar. He really doesn't know how to handle it. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's yeah. like one of those like, oh, it's an interesting philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you yeah, for sharing. It goes up several pitches. You're like, oh, huh. huh. Yeah. It's, just one of, it's just one of those, like, that was the first time I felt how I have told my clients to handle things. It was most like, that is the most insane thing I've ever heard. So, yeah, so advice like that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I mean, I remember actually prenatally meeting with um, the guy who was our pediatrician And, um, he was really wonderful about sort of talking about, um, the dynamics of like the grandparents. And he was saying, you know, like they are used to being your primary family. And this is this new shift where your primary family is now going to be you three. Um, and you know, you kind of have to remember that they're kind of, going through this giant shift themselves. I never thought of that. Yeah. And it can feel, you know, they're getting something new and wonderful and that's very joyful, but they're also feeling maybe pushed to the side or replaced or something. That's a great thing to think about. Um, my 
my oldest is now eight, and I never really thought about how maybe my mom felt replaced during. I'm not that I'm trying to psychoanalyze, but I really, it's it is something to think about that their role has shifted in a way. Wow, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I'm going to shift. I mean, so yeah. as I say, like when I am with clients and a grandmother or grandfather is there, even if you know, we don't really need to have the information. I will, I love to sort of say, oh, and what did you do? And what worked, you know? And sometimes they come up with like amazing information or, you know, like they teach me wonderful things. Um, but oftentimes they're feeling so challenged by the fact that maybe, you know, they didn't nurse and now they're feeling defensive about that or they always put babies to sleep on their stomachs and everything was fine or they did it this way and everything was fine. And now they're just feeling like really kind of out of sorts, like, wait, so you're telling me that everything I did was wrong? Yeah, so that's a great point. Welcome them in and be like... Hey, tell me about your expertise. That's a great point. All right, I'm going to shift gears one more time because I had so many things I want to ask you. Let's talk breast, fest, breast chest feeding. So one of the things I remember, my in-laws were like, You're, the baby's not getting enough. The baby's not getting enough. And I kept saying, like, they actually don't need that much in the beginning. So can you talk about how much a baby actually needs in the first week? They're t- they're bellies are so teeny tiny. And then I guess also to tell how, how do you know if your baby is getting enough? Yeah. So, um, I teach a uh, breastfeeding and newborn care class prenatally. And one of the things that I love doing in the class is I pull out a little marble, you know, just like think of the little marbles that you might've played with when, when you were a kid. And I hold it up and I say, what do you think the size of this marble is meant to represent? And people look kind of puzzled and sometimes people will get it. It is the baby's stomach capacity on day one. And then I take out a bottle and it's a bottle that's a small bottle. It's just four ounces. And I hold up the marble and I hold up the bottle And sometimes I open up the bottle and I put the marble in and it really makes the point. Everyone laughs. And I say, does this bottle look really huge to you? It probably didn't look huge to you like if I had held it up five minutes ago. But now that you have this information, it's crazy big. A four-ounce bottle is crazy big. Um, Even, you know, parents sometimes get sent home with the, like, little ready-made bottles of formula. That's giant when it comes to, you know, the size of a baby's, a newborn baby's stomach. So on day one, that stomach capacity is just about a teaspoon. And it increases day by day, you know, over the first four weeks as the baby grows. But even day three, it's still under an ounce. Um, By day 10, it's about two to three ounces. So babies are very rapidly increasing the amount of milk that they're taking in. But you're absolutely right. They are satisfied with a very small amount of milk in the beginning. And that's partly why I would love to ban the phrase, you know, milk coming in, or I'm waiting for my milk to come in, or, oh, the baby's hungry because my milk hasn't come in yet. Um, You've got milk in your breasts from about the midway point of your pregnancy. That's colostrum. It is the perfect newborn food. It's packed with, uh, you know, it's baby's first immunization. Um, It lines and protects the baby's uh, intestines. It is super laxative, and so it helps get that first poop out. It is the perfect newborn food. There is nothing wrong with it. Um, And it is made in just the right quantities. And as it's transitioning to mature milk, 
milk, the quantity is increasing. Baby is bit by bit building your capacity. Babies are going to nurse eight to 12 times in a 24-hour period. Um, You have to remember that when a baby is in utero, they're on a constant feed. They never had discrete feeds. So this whole concept of having discrete feeds and or even feeling hungry for the first time is like very new for a newborn. So you're going to be looking for you know, making sure the number of times in a day that the baby is feeding is on track, so at least 8 to 12 times in a 24-hour period, and a full feed is at least 10 minutes of active sucking where you're feeling that tug, tug, tug at the breast and you might see the ears wiggle. I love teaching my clients how to hear babies swallow at the breast. You got to get really quiet in the beginning and get your ear in close, but you're going to hear that little glottal stop, the little as the baby swallows the milk and and giving parents tools so they can see rather than feel this sort of mystery like I don't know if the baby's getting any milk or not. You know, I get that there's a real comfort in looking at a bottle and seeing, oh, there was two ounces in it, and now there's only a half ounce. Therefore, I know my baby got an ounce and a half. There are no lines on the side of your breast. You don't know. But giving people those tools helps them know that baby's getting milk. And then you're also looking at what is coming out of your baby. So you're looking for, you know, in the first four days of life, like a pee and a poop per day. So day one, one pee and one poop, two peas, two poops, three peas, you know. And by day four, day five, you know, you're wanting to see, uh, you know, six plus wet diapers every day and at least four poopy diapers. Um, But you're also looking at your baby and you're seeing that your baby goes through cycles where they're eager to feed, you know, they're, they're excited to come to the breast, they're excited to nurse, and then they're milk drunk and they're satisfied, which is different from I'm excited to feed, you put me to the breast and I conk out in 30 seconds because I'm just warm and close to you. Um, Also, cluster feeding is normal. It's not a sign that you're not making enough milk. So cluster feeding is when babies have a series of feeds in a row. Um, I've actually taken to um, making a drawing for my my clients, and it really is good at illustrating. Um, And I'll I'll describe it so you can Mm -hmm. sort of imagine it. I think People, when they imagine the way babies are going to feed, they picture like a string of beads that are the exact same size and they are evenly spaced across the 24-hour line. They're like, that's what, you know, a day of feeding is going to look like. Eight to 12 times in a 24-hour period means the baby feeds every two to three hours and it's going to be for X amount of time. And then I cross that out and I say, (laughs) no, 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 that's wrong, wrong, wrong. That's not what your baby is going to do likely. Yes, there is some baby out there somewhere who's doing that. But most babies are going to be, you know, like very unevenly spaced and the size of their feeds is going to really vary from time to time. Um, Babies are actual human beings. And in the same way that you and I sometimes want a big meal or a little snack, they're also going to do that. And so if we can understand that we look at the big picture and we're, you know, we're looking at our babies feeding over a period of 24 hours and not focusing on each individual feed, very soon you're going to start to see like either, yes, the feeding is on track. Yes, we're getting those peas and poops. Yes, my baby is gaining an ability to nurse, to, you know, to really do that active sucking. Oh, I'm starting to hear the swallows. I'm watching for those diapers. Um, 
you know, and, and of course you're seeing the pediatrician, of course you're getting those weigh-ins, but weight isn't everything. And I will just add that I have had clients more than once go to the pediatrician's office and the weight is not what you think it's supposed to be. And then, oh, it turns out there was something wrong with the scale. So, you know, the scale isn't everything. You're, you're really taking a big picture look when you're assessing if your baby is getting enough milk. And I think that's so important about the big picture because a new parent, again, there's so much anxiety around, are we doing this right? Is everything okay? And they can hyper-focus on each feed. And that's just going to create more anxiety, which we know is not good also for breastfeeding and for milk supplies. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that because also if someone is a particularly organized person and they want to see an organized kind of chart, that could create stress too. So, so great that you really focused on let's step back and see one feed might be smaller, one might be bigger. So thank you for bringing that to light. I think that can help a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say so many people like here in New York City are used to, you know, they're Work. really good at their jobs. <laughs> That's they're kind really of what I was thinking. They're really good at taking care of business and getting stuff done. <laughs> exactly. And, and, I'm like, and, yeah. Very type A. <laughs> you cannot spread chart a baby. It just doesn't work. And it, you know, spread <laughs> you, a baby. It just it it just doesn't work in that way. I'm it's, so it's glad you said fun. what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like um, the very type A person, which I am. So I'm going to put myself out there. Me may too. want to see the the even spreadsheet. And yeah, it's just a good reminder that they're little people and they're yep. going to have... So th- <laughs> thanks for reading my mind and really putting it out there in a way I wasn't going to. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask for one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents. We'll be right back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We are back. So we covered a lot. Is there anything that we didn't cover or are you ready for your one tip or piece of advice? I mean, I could keep talking about this forever, (laughs) but I'm happy to give my one tip or piece of advice. Um, and, And that is really simple, which is I think everyone is really used to uh, making a birth plan or birth preferences is sort of a more accurate way, I think, of talking about it. But I don't think people really think about making a postpartum plan. And what I want to encourage every single person to do, whether they are giving birth or they are adopting or having a baby via surrogacy, is 
please sit down and make a postpartum plan. If you're doing this with a partner, do it together. If you're doing this on your own, you can do it on your own, or you can, with a trusted friend or family member, your your special helper, sit down and write a postpartum plan together. Um, you know, I've written an essay about it. Uh, I link to it on my website, uh, mimadula.com. Um, but you can also just Google postpartum plan and, you know, find a template for yourself. Just that act of thinking through these questions, you know, what do we need, um, thinking about who you might call on for help, um, even considering some of the things that you might be prompted to consider when you're writing a postpartum plan might be stuff that you just hadn't thought about. Um, So I think, you know, it's not as if you know, writing a birth plan makes your birth go the way you want it to go. And so writing a postpartum plan doesn't mean that you're going to control that postpartum experience, but you have a scaffolding there. And so you are ready for when things inevitably do go a little differently from the way you imagined they would go. And you do have support people you can turn to, and you do have, um, you know, you, you have thought this through. I think that brings a tremendous amount of comfort. Um, and personally, Personally, I hope that part of everyone's postpartum plan is, you know, a postpartum doula or really compassionate, kind and and helpful people rather than visitors. Um, And the one extra thing that I think that everyone should learn how to do is learn how to wear your baby in a sling or a a wrap or, um, you know, whatever baby carrier works best for you. Um, That is an absolute sanity saver and is hands down, like one of the most helpful things that I teach parents how to do. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I, with my second, I was able to wear her with my first, honestly, my pelvic floor had such trauma. I couldn't, I couldn't put the weight of the baby on my body because my pelvic floor had, was so unstable. It was just, it was too much. So, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because it is something that I missed being able to do too much. I did a little bit, but when he got heavier, I just didn't have that support until, until I worked with, um, a PT. Now there was one question I wrote down that I forgot. I'm kind of going out of order, but this might help tie things up. You'd mentioned that sometimes you have parents calling you like, this wasn't what we're expecting. Or what would you say are some of the biggest surprises that new parents encounter that they just weren't expecting? Well, I think, I guess what I would say is sort of how out of control it can feel. That can just feel profoundly destabilizing to people. Um, And I think it can feel really scary. uh, And the lack of sleep um, can just make people feel totally out of whack. And so when I'm coming in, um, in the beginning, I think there's this sense of just like, oh God, everything feels very out of control. Um, you know, nursing isn't going as easily as they thought it might go. Um, they can't, you know, sort of get their baby to sleep when they want their baby to sleep. Um, and it all just feels overwhelming. Um, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that because I think that there can be the out of control can make people, as you said, just feel so unstable. And to hear that that's normal may help people take a step back and be like, okay, I feel out of control, but this is part of the course and and we can get to the other side of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I sometimes sort of imagine like new parents, like on a little boat in the ocean that's like, you know, these giant waves. And it's like, the giant waves are there. You cannot control those giant waves, but like, just keep pointing, you know, I don't know about sailing. So maybe this is actually <laughs> not what you're supposed to do on the, in, in the ocean, but like, you know, on your little boat, you want to just kind of ride those waves as best you can, you know, like it, it feels intense. It can feel frightening, but you really will be okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, yes, it can feel like an emergency or it can feel like a crisis, um, but knowing that with a little support and with a little patience, both with your baby and with yourself and with your partner, um, you know, you, you will get through this. The seas will calm a little bit um, until the next, you know, big wave challenge that you're going to experience. Um, because, you know, I always think like we never cease being postpartum, you know. <laughs> There that's, are so many stages down the road. I'm a parent of a 12-year-old now, and the seas feel very calm right now and wonderful. But um, I don't know what, you know, full-on adolescence will be like. Um, like, do they have postpartum doulas for <laughs> those adolescent years? I don't know. Perhaps they should. <laughs> I like that. You just started a whole new career for some people. So where can people find your work? You mentioned your website. Yeah, so my website is my name, Mima, M like Mary, double E, M like Mary, A, doula, D-O-U-L-A dot com. And um, I link to some articles that I've written that I think I think are helpful. Um, and there's information about me and what a postpartum doula does. And I'm always happy to just have a chat with people on the phone about what their needs are, um, if I'm not the right person for them. I love connecting people with colleagues, uh, making sure that people get the support they need, uh, no matter, you know, where they are and what their needs are. That is great. And I'll make sure I have that in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for your time and all your incredible wisdom and insight. I really appreciated this. I think new parents who are right before this or right in it will also get, or and, and support people, will really learn a lot from you. So thank you for sharing your wisdom. You're so welcome. I always love talking to you and I love your questions. So Thanks. let's do this again in three years. <laughs> Hopefully before then. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about visitors versus helpers. I know. I have so many things. Like I started taking notes of like offshoots that we're going to do. So we'll do it. I'll talk to you again. All right. Enjoy your day. Take care. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 